0: Father, speak to us. Even as we prayed, minister to us. Let your word come to us. Come against every wall of resistance. We break it in Jesus' name. Every form of rebellion, whether in the mind or the heart or in the attitude, we break it in Jesus' mighty name. May your word be honored, be received with gladness and sincerity. And we remembered, we collected and retained and applied. Because only your word can change us. We receive the power of your word, being made manifest in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we've been considering the the on-the-face standard of God. We've been considering the the fact that, you know, uh, which was highlighted in the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring division on this earth. And we considered the, uh, the line of separation. We considered the parable of the dragnet. How many of you remember the parable of the dragnet? We considered it last week. You don't remember? Okay, I'll ask you one more time. How many of you remember the parable of the dragnet? Yes. Some, for those of you who are not here, we were considering the parable of the dragnet where um, you know, the fisherman threw this huge dragnet into the sea. And they, when they drew it to the shore... All kinds of fish were caught in that dragnet. They drew it onto the shore ashore, and uh, they sat down and they segregated it, divided it. They divided the, the bad and the good, separated the bad and the good. And the bad they threw away. But the good, the good fish were collected into containers. And I told you that the dragnet refers to the church of Jesus Christ. You know, when the, the net of evangelism, the net of missions is being thrown far and wide and we drag it in, you know, don't think that the only fish that are caught in the net are the good ones. Like I told you, gospel is appealing in many ways than one, in more, de- more ways than one. For, for everyone, it, it need not be the power of God under salvation. It can be a good message. It can be a good teaching. It can be a, something pleasant to the ears. But only those who truly understand it will realize it is the power of God Amen. under salvation, man. So we, we looked at all that. We looked at the, the fact that there is a separation. Uh, and there's always, the Bible is always teaching us about it's a division. Right from the time, uh, in from the, the, the days of the Old Testament, the Bible talks about distinction. The Bible talks about separation. The Bible talks about sanctification. And the, even the church, we must give all the more heed to this word. Amen. Amen. And we must understand why it is so. Hallelujah. Are you all with me? Yes, Amen. Uh, the, the, at the end of the age, the angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw the wicked into the fiery furnace. That is the explanation, the, the interpretation which Jesus gave to the parable of the dragnet. At the end of the age, the angels will come separating the good and the, the wicked and the, the good, the righteous, and the, the wicked will be thrown in the fiery furnace, the fiery furnace. Yes? Hallelujah. This is the truth, whether you like it or not. This is the truth, whether you? That's, that's one thing about the Bible, whether you like it or not. You can read this book. If you don't like it, okay, hard on you. But whether you like it or not, this is, what, this is the truth, the hard truth, man. And that's how God functions. And that's who God is. God will never dilute his word. The, God will never lower his standard of the word. For him, the word matters the most. More than anything else. Now, we may have our own ideas. We may have our own likings and uh, our, fa- our fantasies with regards to how God is and how He functions. But it does not work that way. God follows His word. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, what does this mean to the church? Or what does this mean to us, the, the end-time church? As I would like to call ourselves, we are the end-time church. This generation is the end time. The last generation on this earth, I believe. We are the last generation before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The end time. church. So what, why, is it, why is it important for us to consider this line of separation? Because it is important for us to truly understand the standard of God's word. It is important for us to truly understand the standard of God's word. We must not, say must not. You must not settle for any pattern, which is of the world. You and I don't have the liberty, the freedom to settle for any pattern outside of God's word, man, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind, you know, there can be hundred people, thousand people, or even more than that, telling you something is right. And the Bible is the only thing that says that is wrong. Who will you go with? What will you follow? Whose standard are you following? Are you following the voices of the, the many voices which tell you what you're doing is right? Or will you follow the voice of that one shepherd, that one master, that one God, one Lord, Amen? man who says that is wrong? Are you with me? So we cannot be deceived by anyone. If, to see, if somebody were to tell you that this is it, if somebody were to come to you and say, This is all right. What you're doing is fine. They are deceiving you. It's a lie. Hello? If somebody is telling you, this is it, there is nothing more to this, you're absolutely fine. It is a lie. Because the Bible is a book of standards. God's Word is full of standards for us to follow, for us to emulate, for us to learn and abide by. Amen. Amen? We have to conform to the standards of God's Word. We don't have an alternative. Say, alternative. Say, no alternative. Say no alternative. alternative. You don't have. This is the standard. God has raised the standard. There is no alternative to this. And you must understand, I must understand, we must understand that the Christian walk is a serious affair. Tell your neighbor, serious affair. It's a very serious affair. It is a walk of worship. It's a walk of uh, sanctification. It's a walk of commitment. The one who called us expects us to be committed to Him, loyal to Him, a walk of loyalty. man, It's a walk of holiness. It's a walk of high standards. You you got to understand that this walk, this Christian walk that you're on is a walk of consistency. It's a walk of progress. We got to be composed in this walk. We cannot be like here today and there the next day. We cannot be swayed by every wind of doctrine. We cannot be blown away by every wind of doctrine. We have to be very consistent. Say consistent. Tell your neighbor consistent. Tell your neighbor, the Lord is teaching you consistency. And one thing that the church must learn from, from the Holy Spirit is consistency. You know, we cannot be on a high on a Sunday and the lowest in the middle of the week. You're the lowest cannot be like that. We need to be, we have to be consistent. The Lord is the stability of our times. We've got to be consistent every single day, man. We just keep growing. It gets, it just gets better. Your walk with Jesus must get better, man. Your commitment to him, your, your, the way you conform to his standards must only become better. Things are not going to get loosened up. Things are going to get tightened up in your life, man. The standards of God are, are going to get tightened up in your life. Yeah. Minimizing the, the freedom of the flesh. The Bible talks about it. Amen. We cannot be carried away by the, the lust of the flesh. We have to buffet. Say buffet. The Bible talks about buffeting our body. Restricting our body. Yes. The flesh must be restricted. So the spirit can be given freedom. Amen. Amen. Only by the Spirit can we buffet the body. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So if you find yourself lowering your standard in your Christian walk, then it is not a good sign. If you find yourself lowering your standard in your Christian walk, it is not a good sign. It is a warning sign that you need to submit more to God's grace. It is just telling you, screaming at you that you need to submit more to God's grace. If your standard with regards to the word of God, with regards to the things of God have gone down. Has it gone down? If it has gone down over the years, over time, then it is a sign that you are frustrating the grace of God. We learned about it last year. We can frustrate the grace of God. The grace of God is given to you to give you stability, to give you consistency. But if you find yourself at a lower standard than before, that means you are doing things, you are on a, a knowingly or unknowingly, you are following an agenda which is frustrating the grace of God, which is given to you to keep you stable. It is also a sign that there are things that you entertain. We heard about that this morning. It's a sign that there are things in your life which you entertain. What things? Things which block your growth, hinder your growth, inhibit your growth. As a Christian, we can have things in our life, we can have inclinations and likings which we pamper and entertain, which can hinder our progress, which can hinder our growth. That's why we must be watchful. Because if you don't deal with those things, we can get stuck. Whereas this walk is a walk of progress. Like I said, you got to progress. Man, you are, we are going from glory to glory. If you go by the standard of God's word, we are going from glory to glory, from faith to faith. you are always going higher. But if you are entertaining things which are not in line, not in agreement with the word of God, then it hinders your growth, your progress. Are you with me? So It is, it is important. So that's why the Bible talks about test whether you are still in faith. Do you know that the Bible talks about that? test. And check whether you're still in faith. Now sometimes, I, I, I'm so surprised, sometimes I talk to people, I mean, it, it, it looks like everything is going fine and then I talk to them and they tell me things like, I don't know whether I believe or not anymore. What? But, but you seem to be all fine. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure about that. You understand? If you neglect those early warning signs, you will end up in that place where you're drifting away. You're drifting away. You must seek help when help is available. You must seek help when help is relevant. Yes. Amen? Not after it has gone past the expiry date and it is beyond redemption. Are you with me? So we, we considered, we've been considering last week um, what God told the Israelites, you know, what God told Samuel with regards to The demand by the Israelites. What was the demand? We wonder. Yeah, we need a king. Like whom? Like the nations of this world. We give us a king to judge us like the nations of this world. So Samuel, the prophet, was really offended. He took offense. He was displeased, the Bible says. He brought the matter to his God. And God consoled him by saying, Samuel, listen. Let's look at that. First Samuel Chapter 8. This is chapter 8 and verse 8, I think. Can you open it to? Yes. Chapter 8, verse 8. Now let's go from verse 8. That's what I wanted, okay? Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. So God is telling Samuel, don't worry. It's not you that they are rejecting. They are rejecting me. And they've always been like this. Samuel was not aware of that. Samuel probably did not really think about it. But God told them, no, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And they've always been like this. If I may paraphrase that, God was saying, the peop- this people are still the same. Who is, he, who is God talking about? God's own people. The special people on this earth. God is saying, this people are still the same, just the same. They have not changed a bit after 40 years of Exodus, after many more years of uh, the judges ruling over them, after having come into the promised land, God has this against them. What is that? that They've not, they not changed. They're still the same. Like the, in the book of Revelation, we see, in the letters we see, I have this against you. What is that? You have left your first love. I have this against you. You have done this. I have this against you. You entertain that. So there are things that God holds against His people. Hello? If we don't understand what God, how God is perceiving our stand or our situation or our decision, the decision was we want a king. We must understand, we must take effort to understand how God feels about the statements that we make, the words that we say, the decisions that we take. Have you ever considered that? they were? See, so these people, were, they were stubborn and stiff-necked. They still are. They were stubborn, they still are. They were idolaters then, they still are. They rejected me then, they still reject me now. That's what God said. After coming out of the slavery, after coming out of slavery, after having inher- inherited the promised land, God is saying, they're still the same. Obstinate, stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious, idolaters. Then we consider that question, what does God think about you today? Let's, let's bring it close to home. Let's, let's bring it really close to our own lives. God is asking, is God asking a question? Or does God hold this against you? Or what does God think about you today? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about it? The the only things that matter to you is what my friend thinks about me, what my teacher thinks about me, what my colleague thinks about me, what my boss thinks about me. Have you ever considered or do you continually consider what God thinks about you and your lifestyle and your deeds and your decisions and your way of speech? and your pursuits in life and your desires. This is a desire. We want a king just like all the nations of this world. What does God think about it? They were absolutely clueless about it. They didn't know. God thought something very pertinent about it. God had a strong point about that, which only God knew and Samuel knew. None of the Israels were even aware of it. Why? Because they never took the effort or took the pain To understand the heart of God. Are you with me? Do you take pains to understand the heart of God? Do you give yourself time to know what are the things in the heart of God? How God feels? Does it matter to you? Does it matter to you what He thinks about you? Hello? Are you all here? Does it matter to you what God thinks about you? Does it matter to you that He wants you to change? Does it matter to you that He wants you to renew your mind, have a different thinking? Does that matter to you? Ah, that's, God is always like that. Does it matter to you that he, he does not want you to be conformed to the patterns of this world? Does it matter to you? Does it bother you that He does not want you to be conformed to the standards of this world? Whether you admit it or not, the truth of the matter is, You and I can live in total negligence to what God thinks about us. It is possible to live a so-called Christian life, so-called Christian life, without being least bothered about what God thinks about me. You can go through the motions of Christianity. Read the Bible, pray every day, come to church, have fellowship, get, uh, serve in church or take part in ministry. You can do all that and still live in total negligence to what God thinks about you. Do you know that? You can pretend that everything is okay. It is possible. You may be still coming to church. Like I said, you may be still serving in the kingdom You can still be doing ministry. You can still be attending meetings. You can still be lost in worship. Hello. You can still be lost in worship. You can still be speaking Christian jargons. The hallelujahs and the praise the Lord's and the amens. And yet live unaware of what God wants from you. Have you ever thought about it? You can come to this church... Okay, I'll take this church as an example. You can come to this church every Sunday or even for every meeting. So let's say the weekly meetings that we have. You, come for every, you can come for every meeting. You can come and have fellowship. You can listen to the word. You can, you can participate in everything. Like I said, you can live uh, from the outside. Everything looks so normal. Everything looks so... Because like I said, we are good in pretending. Say pretending. We are very good in pretending. And I told you last week, the best pretenders on earth are found in the church. If Hollywood will open up auditions in the church, they'll find better actors than the ones that are already there in the world. Truth. And that's the truth. We are so good in pretending. Putting on a pretense before people, putting on a pretense before God, putting on a pretense before everyone. So as I said, it is possible to live in total negligence. But see... Today, what I want to drive across to you. We've been trying to do this. We've been continually doing this. I want to do it again today. Understand this well. Jesus Christ has got expectations about your life. About the way you live your life. He has got expectations. And it is so, it is such a terrible thing to see a Christian living as if God has no expectations about me anymore. I came to the kingdom and that's about it. No, that's not true. Just because you said yes to Jesus, your pursuit with the Lord does not end there. Your commitment to Jesus does not end there. In fact, it starts there. It starts there. The day you got saved, your commitment to Jesus started. You know what you said? I said, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. No matter what, I'll follow you. But the problem is, we said that I will follow you, not understanding the weight of that decision how far and wide it will reach in your life it it pertains to everything about your life that's what it means i will follow you drop your nets and follow him leave your dear ones near ones and follow after him the foxes have holes the birds have nests. but the son of god does not have a place to lay his head that's what you're talking about that one you are following Him. And the Holy Spirit, we, we, we talked about this last week. The Holy Spirit has been given as a what? As a what? As a? As a? As a? As a helper. He's been given as a? You got to know the Holy Spirit as a helper. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as a? As a helper. For what? To do the daily chores at home? To do the dishes? For what? Why do you think the Holy Spirit has been given to you? As a helper. To help you. For what? To help you in your? To help you to meet the expectations of God. That's why Now without the Holy Spirit You cannot meet the expectations of God You cannot You just cannot Now you would be living like a zombie Not being able to do anything Without the If not for the Holy Spirit You are silts You are nothing That's what Jesus said Without you Without me you can do Ah. Without him you can do that's why I said, it's better that I go away because I'm going to send you the helper, somebody better than me in terms of helping. It is better that I go away because the helper will come. Because without you, without me, you can do nothing. Without the helper, you, you, you don't even stand a chance. And here we are trying to like, you know, pretend that everything is okay because we fail miserably when we try to meet the expectations of God. We hit against the wall. All the time, every single time. When you try to please God with our own efforts, we cannot. We need the Holy Spirit, the helper, teaching us, guiding us, encouraging us, building us, making us strong, making us humble. Only then we can. Only then we can meet his expectations. But unless you seek help from the helper, you won't get that help. That's that's the thing about God. You know, God is not somebody who will barge into your space and help you. He will not just come uninvited. He will not. The helper will not come uninvited into your life and try to help you with a situation that you need help with. He needs, he needs welcome. Say welcome. You got to welcome him. You got to receive him. You got to ask him. And acknowledge his help. So the areas in your life which you are trying to deal with by yourself, will not get the help of the Holy Spirit because he will not do it like, that way. That's why it is very important for you and I to acknowledge that you need help. I need help with this. Now, the number of, I've lost count with the number of times I've told the Lord, I need help with this because I've realized that many things that I thought I can do pretty good, I can't. I thought I was pretty okay without anybody's help. I can manage on my own. You know, as I walked with the Lord, I realized that, no, I am terribly wrong. In in this walk of life, things are not as as easy as it seems. And there are times when you falter. There are times when you stumble. There are times when you fall. There are times when you fail. So if you need to get up and keep walking without failure, without stumbling, without faltering, you need the, say the helper. helper. Yeah, the helper. Say Helper. So when you, re- when you received him and believed in his name, you are given the power. Say the power. power. For what? To be called the? Oh, you didn't know that scripture. For as many as those who received him and believed in his name, he gave them the? Power. To what? To be called the sons of God. You have been given the power to be called the sons of God. Amen. To walk as God himself. Amen. To walk with the very nature of God. But now, you need to acknowledge the need of that power. And you need to avail of that power to walk as the sons of God. I'm not getting this. You have no power on your own. Tell your neighbor, you don't have any power. On your own, you have no power. You are a powerless person without the Holy Spirit. We are just like the world, I'm telling you. You're just like anybody out in the world without the Holy Spirit. Now what brings power and grace and strength and dignity into our lives is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And for, for that we, we got to acknowledge Him. You got to be aware of His presence. We got to be aware of this power and be willing to use that power. Amen? to be God's son. See, first of all, okay, let's, let's start from the basics. To start with, you got you to see the Holy Spirit as a person. <laughs> I don't know how many of you will agree with me on this, but I'm telling you, there are a lot of people in the church who don't know the Holy Spirit as a person. They don't know Him as a person. You might think, but that, isn't that foundational? Yeah, it is foundational, but what to do? We don't understand that He's a person. We don't acknowledge him as a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, just like Jesus walked with the disciples. The Holy Spirit walks with you, Amen. just like Jesus talked with his disciples. The Holy Spirit talks with you. Amen. Just like Jesus touched his disciples, the Holy Spirit touches you. He is a person. See, never address the Holy Spirit as it. You will I mean, you will be surprised. You'll be surprised. Even within the Christian circles, you'll be surprised at the number of times. It goes very subtle. But there are times, even within the, the circles, the Christian so-called Christian circles, he is referred to as it. It is not Holy Spirit. He. Say he. Real person. And the problem is, you are not able to see One of the foundational things of... Um, Getting to know Christ, getting to know the Holy Spirit—this is theology, by the way. Okay, is to know that He is a person. We have a, we acknowledge the Holy Spirit as a form of power. Do you know it's a it's right from the pits of hell? It's a cult teaching. Do you know that? It's a deceptive teaching. There are cults in the world which teaches they acknowledge the Holy Spirit not as a person but as a power. So if somebody comes to you and says, Holy Spirit, we we also believe in the Holy Spirit just like you do. We know that uh, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. No. We don't believe it is the power of God. We believe He is God Himself. And there's a huge difference between the two. It is the power of God and He is God is different. So because you consider the Holy Spirit as it There is no personality for the Holy Spirit. And there's no relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because it is it. You don't have a relationship with your umbrella. Do you have? Just that it is your umbrella. You carry it wherever you want to carry it. You have to carry it. Got it? But if the umbrella has life, the umbrella can also carry you. If it is a person, Ajit can carry you. He can hold you, lead you, guide you. Why? Because he's a person in your life. And you both have relationship because of personalities. Yeah? But if you consider the Holy Spirit as a thing or it, no, there is no relationship. He's not an imaginary concept. The Holy Spirit is He, a person, a real person who will interact. Say interact. He will converse with you. He will intervene with you. He will influence you. He will impress things and thoughts into your heart. He will listen to you. He will respond to you. You Another, the the most common question in discipleship is this, how can I hear God? You start by this, acknowledge God as a person. Acknowledge the Holy Spirit as a person. When you acknowledge God as a person, when you acknowledge the Holy Spirit who's been given to you as a person, that's the first step in listening to the voice of God. You, I mean I'm telling you, I've I've encountered this question countless number of times. Youngsters and old people alike. how do we listen to the voice of God? How can we know that it is God when He is speaking? How do you know when you're, if you're a a husband, how do you know when your wife is calling your name? Or if you're a wife, how do you know when your husband is calling your name? How do you know when your father is calling your name? Because you recognize the the voice. You're familiar with the voice. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. To start with, you have to acknowledge that as a person. And I want you to know this thing. A Christian is not living at all if the Holy Spirit has not become a reality. You're not living at all. You're not living at all. You have not started living as a Christian if you have not acknowledged the Holy Spirit as a reality, a real person. And you will have the struggles like anybody out in the world. And you'll be wondering why. I said yes to Jesus. Why do I, have, why do I struggle? I tell you why. Because you have not acknowledged the, the presence of this Jesus in your life. Who is the Holy Spirit? Are you with me? Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Now, we've been looking at, into the events of First Samuel. Whatever I'm speaking is in, in, in connection with that. Uh, you know, when you, when you reflect, you'll understand that it's all connected. Uh, we've been looking at the events in First Samuel. We started from Hannah's worship. We, we started from, we looked at her vow. The, the fact that she made a vow before God. Yeah? We looked at Samuel's birth. We looked at his childhood, his dedication, his his childhood, his encounter with God, the fact that he heard the voice of God. We looked at his rise as a prophet. We looked at the judgment over Eli's household. We looked at Ichabod, the ark of God being taken away, the glory of God departing from Israel. And then we are in that section where we are considering the fact that Israelites demanded a king to be like the nations of this world. And I'm going to consider that section once again. So like I said, they asked for a king. Samuel was upset. God consoled Samuel by saying, they did not reject you, but they rejected me. And you must understand what were they doing? And we're considering that. Why is it so grave before God? Why did God take it so seriously? Because they were refusing to acknowledge God as the king and desiring to have a human king. It was a refusal to follow the standards of God and a readiness to embrace the standards of this world. It was a rejection of that which is God's will, good, perfect, and acceptable. And conforming to the patterns of this world. See, listen, listen. Oftentimes, we don't realize what our desire or what our desires and inclinations look like, looks like, in the vision of heaven. In the perspective of heaven. I mean, this looked like a very, very subtle, say subtle. Harmless. Harmless desire. Har- it was a very harmless desire, harmless request. Give us a king. We just want to be like all the nations of this world. Very harmless. Very subtle. But in the, in the perspective of heaven, it looked differently. For everyone else in this world, it, it looked, I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, they just want to be like everyone else. They just want to be normal. Say Normal. What's so wrong about being normal? But when God looked from heaven, he looked at this request made by his own people and perceived that this is wrong. He took offense. You know why? Because he understood this is a rejection of himself. They are rejecting him when they are embracing, when they are asking for a king. So every desire, every inclination that you have, Every pursuit in your life looks differently from heaven. It might look very harmless to you. It can look very harmless to the person next to you. It can look very harmless to your parents. It can look very subtle and very common to the common man. But to God, how does your desire look? How does your inclination look? How does your request look? How does your prayer sound in heaven? Now, we take credit in this. I pray about it. I prayed about it. Okay, you prayed about it, but what was the response from heaven? You prayed about something, but what was God's response to your prayer? This is the confidence that we have, that He hears us. And if you know that He hears us, we also know that we will have everything that we asked for, which is in accordance to His will. So now, you go before Him, you know that He hears you, But are you confident that you'll get it? Meaning, are you confident that you asked in accordance to his will? You must know how God feels about your prayer. Somebody help me. Somebody help me this morning. You must know what God feels about your wants, your aspirations, your demands. You must know that what God thinks about your dreams, your desires, your petitions, your prayers. You must know that. Now, See, prayer is not just shooting in the dark. The Christian must outgrow that. It's not shooting in the dark. It's not making a, a wish. Whew. Wish. You, show, you saw a shooting star make a wish. That's not prayer. We must understand what prayer is. Prayer is your communication with God, acknowledging who He is and understanding His will and the confidence with which you talk to God. That's prayer. So, when Israel prayed, what is the prayer of Israel? Give us a king. God took offense. Sometimes your prayer can offend God. Hello, nobody's talking. What is this pastor teaching me? Your prayer can offend God. You never knew that. Your prayers can offend God at times. Because God got offended when they made this prayer, Give us the king. He was offended. So don't think you can stand before God and speak through your hat. You can't do that. That's not prayer. For I say prayer is purposeful. Very purposeful. No, in fact, you know, when I, when I teach people to pray, I tell them, find out what God is speaking to you. Get scripture to back you. Understand the will of God and then pray. Otherwise, you look like a person in a fairy tale. And that's not who you are. You're a child of God requesting your father or communicating with your father what is rightfully yours. That's prayer. So when when the Israelites asked for a king, in a prima facie, it did not look like anything more than just a simple, harmless request. But God gauges the thoughts and the intentions of man. And he perceived their request as a rejection of him. And it must bother us. say bother. You must be so bothered about what God thinks about my prayer. No, I, yesterday, in fact, this is you know, not in connection to any of these things. I was just sitting all by myself and I was just praying to God. And then I prayed something and I asked Lord, is it okay that I, I said this in this manner? Because I was caught with the train of my thought and I was troubled whether that's the right prayer that I made or not. And you must be like that in your prayer. When you pray, you must, you must gauge your words and, and see whether it fits God's Word. That's why it's, a, it's a, such a joy and a liberty to pray in the Spirit. Because you don't, you don't be confused about what you're praying, how you're praying. You can just pray in the Spirit. But when you're praying with your understanding, you better be sure that you're in line with God's Word. Otherwise, you're shooting in the dark. And your prayer must be full of purpose. What are you praying for? Are you praying in line with God's will? Or are you just praying your whims and fancies? Lord, drop a bomb in my neighbor's backyard because he did not smile at me last week. Just give me a vile example. I've had people pray, Lord, if that man is my man, let him wear a pink shirt when he comes to see me. I don't know whether God heard that prayer. Devil definitely heard the prayer. Made him wear the pink shirt. He came with the pink shirt. She got married to the wrong person. And she's far from God. Huh? So your prayers can offend God. God will ask, why do you want me to make him wear a pink shirt? When I can tell you whether it is right or wrong, open the word and I will tell you. He's an unbeliever. So no. Okay, end of story. Lord, I don't want him because he's an unbeliever. And when you walk with the Spirit, He'll give you specifics. He will tell you, she'll be coming with a pink dress that the Holy Spirit revealing to you. But you don't have to pray prayers like make him wear a pink shirt or you understand what I'm talking about? Hello. When you allow God to purify your thoughts and intentions, you will realize how intimately acquainted He is with all your ways. You'll be surprised. Oh, God wants me to correct this also. But I thought this has nothing to do with Christianity. Then you'll realize God is concerned about everything in your life. The side on which you're, you're sleeping. The side on which you're lying on your bed is important to God. You didn't know that? You didn't know that? Something like You didn't know that because you don't know God personally. If you know God personally, everything matters to God. What you eat, what you drink, when you eat, when you sleep, how you drive, how you speak, how you dress, everything matters to God because He's a personal God. I got a relationship with God. If my wife can tell me what to wear and what not to wear, what about God? What about God? Everything about you matters much to Him. many in the church are deceived into thinking He does not intervene with your personal things. Wrong. The greatest mistake that you can make is thinking that God is not personal. God is very personal. He is very personal. And the more you open up your life, you realize that he'll come and, 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 and he'll, he'll just make everything very personalized. Very personalized. But you have to let him come in. Give him access. He will not barge in. With him, you do not get to keep any private space for yourself. Hello? You didn't know that? With Jesus, you do not keep, you do not get to keep any private space for yourself. You know, like you, <laughs> some of you, I, don't know, I hope you, you have this practice that you turn off your mobile phone after office hours. You cannot turn him off after office hours. You cannot turn him off after any hours. Like they say, what's it called? The, the thing that they hang... Um, the hotel door knob. Do not disturb. You cannot hang a do not disturb. You cannot flash a do not disturb card to God. I'm going to sleep. Do not disturb me. You cannot do that. You cannot password protect your, some areas of your life. You cannot, you cannot password protected, protect certain areas of your life from God. You cannot. You just cannot. You can do all kinds of combinations, but you can still see it. It's laid bare. And if it's about relationship, you better not do that with Him. You cannot close the door on Him. You cannot close the gate on Him. You cannot close the, you cannot lock the, the, the bedroom door. You cannot lock the, forget the bedroom. You cannot even lock the bathroom door on Him. That's who God is. That's who Jesus is. You cannot. That's how personal He is. That's how personal he is. He wants to be part of every single thing in your life. Amen. He is jealous for you with godly jealousy. Amen. He is jealous for you, Amen. full of jealousy. And you would like to go on a vacation without him. You would like to take a break from him, take a time out from God, a day off, because you over time with God. That's what you think. That's not how God feels. That's not how God feels. And he sees you just as you are. He knows you better than anybody else. He understands you better than yourself. Say personal. Say personal. The Holy Spirit is a person. So God is personal. Christ is personal. It's about relationship. So when they demanded a king, you know what God did? God did not prevent it. You know that? When, when they give us a king, God, God knew it was wrong. God knew that, that they were rejecting him, but God did not prevent it. Now listen to this. Everything that happens in your life is not God's will. And sometimes we say, oh, that happened. It was God's will. It happened. I, I met that person or I, I went to this place, this door opened. Everything that happens in your life is not God's will. And if you're going to validate things in your life because it happened, if you're going to validate things in your life as God's will, because just because it happened, you're wrong. That's not how it works. Are you with me? But God can turn all things bad into good for those who love Him. That's a different thing. That's the mercy of God. Man, the sovereignty of God. The things that the enemy meant for evil, he can turn it for your good. So even when they asked for a king, God knew this was wrong. They were rejecting me. But God still chose to give them a king. A king according to their desire. Everything that happens in your life is not necessarily God's will. Things can show up in your life just because you pursue it hard. You pursue something hard. See, that is one of the the most awkward prayers a Christian can make is this. Lord, if it is not your will, take it away from me. That's not what Jesus prayed. That's not what Jesus prayed. You you refer to Jesus having done that. No, that's not not what he did. I've explained it before. We'll we'll come to that later. So don't, don't make prayers like, Lord, if it is not, you will take it away from me. And then you're still pursuing it. You made the prayer, but you're pursuing it hard. You know what God will do? God will allow you to have it. God will allow you to have it. Because your prayer was not genuine. It was not his will. It was not in faith. And anything that is not done in faith... It's an offense to God. It's a sin. Sorry. The Bible says it is a sin. So because you persisted after something, it can happen. Things outside of God's will can show up in your life because of your persistence and your stubbornness. It does not validate it as God's will. That's why Christians can also get married to the wrong person. You all have that, how can this happen to a Christian person? He's so pious and God-fearing. I'll tell you why. Because everything that happens in a Christian's life need not be in accordance to God's will. You still have something called as free will. Say free will. So Christian life, ideally, is when you surrender your free will to the will of God. There is no distinction between your will and God's will. That's how you're supposed to live. But if you're still running on your free will, and you're blaming God because something went wrong does not apply to God. Christians can get married to the wrong person. Christians can end up in the wrong place. Christians can have the, do the wrong business. They can still make mistakes. It is possible for Christians to fall into error. Why? Because they followed something that is not God's will for them. Because of the decision was made without God. Your decisions made without God can end you in trouble. And God will not take responsibility for that. In His mercy, He might help you when you cry out for help. You see that all over in the, in the Bible. Now they, God said, oh, you want a king? Okay, I'll give you a king. But this is what the king is going to do for you. This is, the, this is the behavior of the king. This is the consequences of your decision. He repeated it, made it very clear, and then gave the king. Does not mean that it was god's will for them to have that king at that point of time are you getting what i'm saying don't think that god is like i said god is not sitting up there with a joystick okay let me control block now let me give boost that's not how god that's not who god is if you can't hear god speak to you stop turn left turn right you know avoid run God says run. That's what Joseph did. Run. Run, flee. Flee from youthful lust. This woman is after you. She is not your wife. Somebody's wife is after you. Run! Now, but we Christian, modern day Christians, for us it's like, you know, we feel very safe. Lord, I pray that if it is not your will, let Potiphar's wife not come after me. And then you go and stand next to Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife will definitely come after you. And you will take it as God's will for you. How dumb can we be? How dumb can we be? When God says run, run. When God says sit, you sit. When God says stop, you stop. When God says sleep, you sleep. When God says wake up, you wake up. For that you need to have a personal. Say personal. The Holy Spirit must become personal to you. He must become very personal to you. I know whatever oh, I, I was so taken away by my emotions. I was taken away by rage, and I did this. That's your problem. You were taken away by something which is you're not supposed to be taken away by. You must have subjected every thought. Must be brought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought. That's what you must be doing. Bring it into subjection to Christ. You, you did something, and then, you know, years later you're regretting, and you're blaming it on God for allowing that to happen. What do you think God will do? You wanted it that way, and because God, 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 is not a, He's not a tyrant. His rule is not over us; is not tyranny. No. He's not a taskmaster. He's God. Many of our prayers are now reduced to informing him, say informing him of our decision rather than seeking his counsel. So they, that's what they did. They came to Samuel and said, yeah, we want a king. We're just informing you. This is our decision. The elders have gathered together. We have decided that we want a king. We are informing you. Give us, give us a king. Instead, they could have come to Samuel and said, we would like to have a king. Is it right for us to have a king? Can you see God's will for us? And if they had needed correction, God would have corrected them. If they were open to it, by the way. So don't go to God informing. Hello? God is teaching you something today. Don't go to God informing what you've already decided. If God comes into picture only after you decide on something, then he's not God. You are still on the throne. He's a slave. Hello? He's a slave. If you're informing God to do something, he becomes your slave. But if you're asking God to help you with something, help you with the decision making itself, then he's still God. And he's on the throne. He's in control. Let's look at Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2 one more time. We looked at that last week one more time. Therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed. You must buy heart the scripture. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So what is God's will? That it is? Say good and acceptable and? One more time. What is God's will? One more time. One more time. That is God's will for you. Good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, how can you prove God's will, which is good, acceptable, and perfect in your life? There are three steps to it from this scripture. If you have missed that out, I'm going to teach you that. Let's go. Step number one present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Acceptable to God. What does that mean? We taught you guys that for VBS. Savoto Living sacrifice. So how do you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice unto God? One, worshipping Him with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. Give yourself wholly to God, completely given to God. Everything about your life is about God and His will for your life. So you have to start there. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable unto God. Two, step number two. By not conforming to this world, what does that mean? Refusing to live like the? We didn't know that. We always read the scripture. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. What does that mean? It means you must refuse to live according to the world. Refuse to agree to the world. Disagree to the world. Refuse to live like the world. Number three, by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Thinking differently. Say thinking differently. Having a different point of view like we heard last week. A different viewpoint concerning everything that goes on in your life. Not thinking like the world. Thinking in line with the word of God. So if you can, okay, start. First step, give yourself wholly to God. Worship him completely, living sacrifice. Be a person of full of worship for God. With all your heart, your mind, your strength and your soul. Love him with all everything. Second step, refuse to be like the world. Reject the ideas of this world. Disagree with the world. And number three, renew, renew your mind. Be transformed now. Be transformed now in accordance to the word of God. Think in accordance to the word of God. And if you do this, you will prove. Say prove. The things that happen in your life will prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect which is the will of God. If you do your own thing, you will never prove the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. There is no other way to prove the will of God in your life. Meaning, when I say prove the will of God, there is no other way to usher in the will of God in your life. Are you with me? I don't think you're getting this. There is no other way to see the, the will of God manifest in your life except by these three steps. There, is, there are no shortcuts. If you're looking for shortcuts to see the perfect, the good, the acceptable will of God come to pass in your life, there are no shortcuts. Don't think you can trick God. Don't think you can trick God into manifesting his acceptable will in your life. No. This is the only way. Present yourself as a living and holy sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world. Renew your mind. Don't blame God. Hello? Who's the first person to get all the blame? God. If God is not around, Pastor. Don't blame God or anybody else for that matter for the wrong turns that you took in life. Now you are so bitter towards people. Why? Because you took the wrong turn. You took the wrong decision. You're bitter. You want to hide your guilt and your shame and you blame others for your decision. Oh, I did that because he was like this. I did that because God told me this. No, you want to do it your own way. You took the wrong decision. You took the wrong turn. Now you can't blame anybody for that. Any decision that you take devoid of the counsel of God, it can seem very subtle, harmless. But in the course of time, those decisions will not prove the will of God. Those decisions will prove, will be proven as bad, unacceptable and imperfect. Why? Because it was contrary to the will of God. Never, like I said, never validate a decision based on how things worked out. It all worked out well. Never validate your decision because it it happened. Always present the matter before God before you decide. Always. Every decision. The counsel of God is the only thing that must validate your decision. Only five people are agreeing in this. I can see that. I can see your agreement and disagreement. You are not agreeing to this. Every decision that you make must be validated only by the counsel of God. Only by the counsel of God. Present yourself before God. Reject the world view. Receive the view according to God's personal word for you. What's your view? According to God's personal word for you. That must be a view. Your point of view must be accordance to what God has spoken personally to you. Not based on what the world thinks. Not based on what the majority thinks. Not based on how things are done. Not not based on how things are portrayed. No. It must be based on what God has spoken to you. Your personal counsel from God. That validates your decisions. That validates your actions. Nothing else. Nothing else. So God gave them Saul. A man who will perfectly fit the idea of a king. Who was Saul? The son of Kish. Who was Kish? Kish was a mighty man of valor. Let's look at that. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Sekish. The Bible calls him a mighty man of valor. Okay. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. There was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of his people. Look at that. He seemed like the perfect candidate. They wanted a king. Perfect candidate here. Son of a mighty man of valor. A choice and handsome man. The mo- in fact, the Bible says he's the most handsome dude in town. There's nobody ha- more handsome than him in all of Israel. The tallest person in Israel. In fact, in other words, if I, I will look at him, okay, what, what's so big deal about being tall? It means he was a cut above the rest. Is a cut above the rest. He, he was a notch above the others. So in every way, if somebody were to look at Saul with a human point of evaluation, perfect. So God found such a person so that he can satisfy the cry of his people and anointed him. Do you know that? God called this guy and anointed him. Why? Because the people demanded for a king. See, look at this. Man's preference at the highest of standards is only skin deep. At the highest of your standard, your preference is only skin deep. But God goes deeper than the skin. It goes right into the heart of the man. Amen. That's why the, even when uh, David was uh, chosen as king, what did God tell Samuel? Ah, that's right. Man looks on the outside. Because David did not fit the the typical image of a king. So young, ruddy, like you know, he is not one of the warriors in the family. He's a shepherd boy. God said, people, they all look at the outside. But I look inside the heart. Let's look at the the encounter that Saul had with the prophet before I close today. Chapter 9. I'm not going to read the entire chapter for you to understand. Saul and one of the servants of his father went out in search of donkeys. whose donkeys? Father's donkeys. His father had many donkeys. Few were, went missing. So the father sent, Kish sent his son Saul along with another servant to go and find these donkeys. Yeah. So they could not find the donkey. And they were troubled about it. And that's when the servant came up with an idea. There is a man of God here. A seer. We can go and inquire of him. He will help us find the donkeys. So, but now, as this is happening, Samuel already received word from God. Let's look at that. Verse 15. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 15. So a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel saying, about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people, Israel. And he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have regarded my people because their cry has come to me. I'll skip a verse. No, the next verse I'll read. Verse 17. When Samuel saw... Paul, the Lord, said to him, Behold the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall rule over my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where the seer's house is. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys which were lost three days ago, Do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Some version says, on whom is all of Israel's desire on? Is it not for you and for all of your father's household? And Saul replied, am I not not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak to me in this way? So Saul had an inferiority complex. I come from the smallest family, Benjamite tribe. And my father's clan, uh, my father's uh, family is the least of all the families of this tribe. So he had this thing. But the prophet spoke to him and said, On whom is all of Israel's desire? Everything that is desirable or in other words, Everything that is desirable in Israel is for you. God has seen you. So this is, say interaction. Say interaction. So Samuel interacts with Saul. And Saul is clearly not ready for all of this. He's thinking about what? He's thinking about donkeys. What is God thinking about? His people. What is Saul thinking about? Donkeys. One more time. What is God thinking about? The cry of his people. What is Saul thinking about? The donkeys of his father. God can have high thoughts about you, and you can have very menial thoughts about your own your own self. You're so worried about donkeys. The donkeys are already found. See, it is already found. He came in search of the donkeys. What is God planning to do? Anoint him as king over Israel. So you have you may have some plans, and you think so highly about your own plans. God has some other plans for your life. Which is nowhere close to your small, tiny sized plan. You want your donkeys. God wants His people to be ruled by you. God God called this guy to be the first monarch over Israel. And Samuel the prophet, the last judge over Israel, gives this man special treatment. Come, you're going to eat with me? And he, he calls him to the high place. They sit together and he tells his servants to bring the choice piece of the meat. And that's, that choice piece is served to Saul. Why? He came to search for donkeys. Why is he given the best piece to eat? Because God said, "This is the man. this is the one. This is my king. So, Look at this one more time. Saul is looking for donkeys. Servant said, go to Samuel. Prophet is here. Prophet will tell you where the donkeys are. So his only, uh, like you know, excitement is, I'm going to go and meet the servant of God and he's going to tell me where my donkeys are. He goes there. Here is Samuel standing with a flask of oil. And says, come here. I'm going to anoint you as king over Israel. What? I came for donkeys. Donkeys. But God has some other plan. Look at this. Verse verse 1, chapter 10. Then Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, we're talking about Samuel, the prophet, the judge, the one who will speak and no words will fall to the ground. Such a one. Took the flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, such a thing has never happened, by the way. Hello? Such a thing has never happened in the history of Israel. For the first time, for the very first time, the prophet of God, the judge appointed by God is taking a flask of oil, pouring it on the head of Saul, kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over, (sighs) over, what does the Bible say? He's not even saying, has not the Lord appointed us a ruler over this nation? He says, has not the Lord appointed you a ruler over his inheritance? Comes with the full weight. When God calls you into something, he will tell you the full weight of that responsibility. Hello. Because the man is already stuck with donkeys. Now he's made a king. High chance that he will never understand what it is. So first line from the prophet of God based on the spirit of God's instruction is, you are called to be a ruler over God's inheritance. God has seen you for that. And when you go from me today, then you will find, look at this. When you go from me today, then you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Selsa. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Verse 3. Then you will go go on further from there, and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread. How many did they carry? Three loaves, two will come to him, which you will accept from their hand. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily. Everything is coming to who? A guy who came in search for donkeys. He became a king. Now he's becoming a prophet also. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. Say, changed. So God's will for you is change. God's will for you is change. It shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. When these signs come to pass, that means now you can respond according to the situation. Because God is going to be with you. So now the prophet is speaking so that he will come out of his. He's feeling very low. He's feeling very discouraged. Low self-esteem. I'm the smallest. My father's family, the the least. Yeah. Who am I? Now God is speaking to you very clear word and saying the Lord has seen you. Anointed as king. You shall, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily. You shall prophesy. Everything is given very clearly. Signs are given to him. And then, it shall be when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And you shall go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I will come to you to offer burned offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. I'll just read the next verse and then I'll stop it there. Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. Just like that. God changed his heart. And all those signs came upon about on that day. Verse 10, when they came to the hill there, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him mightily so that he prophesied among them. It came about when all who knew him previously saw that he prophesied now with the prophets that the people said to one another, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man there said, Now who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb. Is Saul also among the, pro- or among the prophets. And when he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. I'll, I'll read up to verse 16 and close. Now Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? He said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they could not be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, look at this. He told us plainly that the donkeys have been found. Full stop. Is that what Samuel told him? But according to Saul, he told us plainly that the donkeys have been... He's still stuck with the donkeys. God told him, Ruler of my inheritance, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you. We shall prophesy. Anointed you as a king. First time in the history of Israel. And he's saying, the prophet told me that donkeys are found and I'm back. But he did not tell him about the matter of the kingdom which Samuel had mentioned. I'll close it there because we're going to look into something incredible. And I don't want to, I don't want you to miss out on that. Amen. Hallelujah.